On the show today, the Tai Chi lady, Jackie Weatherly, here to talk about life lessons learned through the art of Tai Chi. It was a pleasure to have my old colleague from Nanjing International School on my podcast today. And in this episode, Jackie Weatherly, also known as the Tai Chi Lady, shares what early days were like for her growing up in a small rural community outside of Adelaide, Australia. Her father, a former physical education and dance teacher, was a genuine mentor to Jackie and exposed her to multiple different forms of outdoor activities such as rock climbing, hiking, and other pursuits. This really allowed Jackie to easily be able to tackle difficult physical challenges in her life from a very young age. In her last couple years of high school, Jackie transferred schools and went to live with her grandparents in the city. And she talks about this being a very difficult transition for her, as she went from living in a very small town where she knew everyone, to moving to a big city and attending a high school where she did not know anyone at all. But despite the difficulty, Jackie learned a lot about herself through this experience and she goes into what some of those things are in our discussion today. Jackie would eventually go on to pursue a career as a physical education teacher internationally and settle in Nanjing, China for seven years at the Nanjing International School where she served the school as head of the physical education department. As you listen to this episode, you will hear Jackie honestly describe some of the mental challenges that she went through over the years and how these challenges truly sparked within her a desire to look within and to seek a major change in her life in order to find more fulfillment and to better understand herself. Jackie speaks very honestly about the way she approaches fear in her life and you will hear a framework that Jackie applies to combat fear and doubt. And she describes tackling fear in her life in a way that allows her to not be controlled by it and to embrace it so that she can constantly grow and learn in meaningful ways in her life. What I really admire about Jackie is her willingness to to speak honestly and to make herself vulnerable in this episode and to share some of the struggles that she's been through. And she really does speak honestly and openly about the impact that anxiety has had on her. And she takes us through how her journey of Tai Chi has genuinely helped to physically and mentally transform her life. What was initially meant to be a year off studying Chen Tai Chi in rural China has turned into a six-year journey of pursuing mastery of her craft. Jackie shares many life lessons learned through Tai Chi and also shares insight into how any teacher, whether they be a classroom teacher or a physical education teacher, can begin to apply basic elements of Tai Chi 
with their students. What Jackie really emphasizes in this episode uh, for classroom teachers or physical education teachers or or educational leaders uh, listening to this is that Tai Chi really can be applied in a classroom setting or in the physical education space and that applying elements of Tai Chi consistently over time can really help to holistically develop a young person in regards to their ability to focus and to um, self-regulate. As well, Jackie goes into um, meditation and the impact that meditation has had in her life, but she also takes us through um, a standing meditation and what that looks like for her and how anyone listening to this how they might be able to apply a standing meditation in their own life and to begin to build a practice of meditation. If you are on Instagram, I highly encourage you to check out Jackie at Tai underscore Chi underscore Lady, so Tai Chi Lady, and you'll find loads of videos of her in action, doing different sequences, lots of photos of her in action, some videos of her using different weapons, which is really cool to to see. Um, It was a pleasure to reconnect with Jackie, and I really do hope you find value in our conversation today. So with that, let's jump right into the discussion with Jackie talking about early days in her life. You've gone on this journey of transformation, and that's what we're going to get into today. But before we get into that, I just want to rewind to early days and just give us some context for where you grew up and what life was like for you early on. And then we'll jump back into kind of your work after leaving Nanjing. Uh, Okay, so I grew up in country South Australia. Uh, My dad was a teacher, so we travelled to different country towns, well, two main country towns that he worked in uh, as a teacher. He started out as a physical education teacher. (laughs) I wonder where I got that from. But then he he kind of drifted into dance because it more it allowed him to have a more creative kind of context to teaching. He always used to say there's only there's only a certain way you can teach a layup and doing that for 20 years. He just wanted to have like a different creative outlet for himself um, to push himself and develop. And I guess I got a lot of my traits from my dad in terms of his work ethic and just putting in the time and the hours and really dedicating heart and soul to Mm. giving whatever you have to the students that have been put in your charge. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, grew up country, South Australia. Uh, I made the move when I was in year 11 to go to the city uh, because I couldn't get the subjects I wanted because it was a small country school and it didn't have the subjects that I wanted. So I ended up living with my grandparents for just over a year. Was that in Adelaide? Yeah, that was in Adelaide. Yeah. yeah. So in Adelaide, yeah, I moved there, uh, went to went to school, and it was very, very different. Uh, that was when I felt myself change the most for the like the first time I felt myself really kind of change into a different kind of person because I'd grown up in small 
country schools where you knew absolutely everyone in the school. You knew pretty much most people in the town because it was small. And then I basically went from being like a, in a very small pond Mm -hmm. to this little teeny tiny fish in, at that time was the biggest school in the state. So Mm -hmm. I went from like, 300 kids to like 1200 kids in the school so that kind of shifted me yeah and what was the the obstacle or what was the biggest thing that you had to overcome or the biggest obstacle that you faced in making that transition I think with just making connections with people it's not ever really been my strong suit in terms of I can get by with just having a general chat with complete strangers, but actually making that stronger connection and the deeper connection with people is is quite difficult. If it's a one-off situation, it's no problems. I can cope with that. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to it's a longer-term kind of relationship with people, I actually found establishing that very difficult, especially coming in at year 11 when a lot of the kids had been at the school from year eight. So they'd already established these relationships that they'd had for three, three or four years already. And then I came in fresh and I just found it really hard to kind of find my place there. I did all right. And I, and I found little groups and places where I was comfortable, but it was, it wasn't as comfortable as I'd been in my small little country school with kids that I'd grown up with from like year three mm-hmm. all the way up and followed them through. So you had more stronger relationships. So I think that whole dropping myself into an unknown situation like that, that kind of, it shifted my personality more from being that person that was like a bit of a clown, always making jokes, being loud to becoming far more introverted and mm-hmm. Because that was more towards my adult years, I kind of brought that introvertness into my adult years as well. In my own case, um, especially playing team sport, you know, being one of the leaders on the team, feeling this overwhelming sense to, to be an extrovert. And I've talked about this on the podcast that it took me a lot of years to figure out that I was actually introverted. And it was kind of a relief in a way to let go of the pressure I put on myself to be the extrovert. But do you think that that you naturally gravitated towards being an introvert your whole life and then that just brought it out? Or was there truly a, a shift? Actually, you're probably right. It probably was there. Like I've always, I was always that kid that I didn't need other people to play with. I was quite happy to amuse myself and be on my own. And I'm still like that now. Like I'm quite happy to be alone and in my own space. Mm -hmm. And when you think about that in in your teaching, so let's just jump into teaching, um, you know, and I know that you were really passionate about the work you did in Nanjing and physical education and health and on some of the committees that you you worked on. But um, talk about that relationship building piece with students and do you think gravitating towards being an introvert helps you to develop deeper relationships with students on a one-to-one basis rather than than whole group yeah I've always been better in small group situations rather than larger groups um 
I find that if I've got a one-on-one situation or a small group situation, I'm much better. But in terms of being someone out the front of a class and teaching a class, it didn't really matter how many students were in the class. I felt comfortable in that Mm -hmm. environment, I think because I felt comfortable in what I was actually there to do. And I think that makes a huge difference if you're actually comfortable within yourself with the material that you're presenting and what you're doing and your purpose for it, mm-hmm. then it does make it a less kind of anxious situation. Yeah. In it, terms it, of yeah. being in front of staff is something completely different. Yeah. Because they're more your peers. Yeah. Yeah, that that makes total sense. And I think, you know, being aligned in what you believe is is right or um, is important with teaching and learning allows you to easily drop into the moment and teach to the best of your ability. But then a lot of evidence shows it's in the peer to peer relationships in our life where we can struggle the most and where certain things are revealed to us through those relationships. And that's what I want to go into. And, you know, I, explain the way I do my podcast is I always do an introduction first uh, to give uh, the listeners some insight into who they're going to hear about. So people will have already heard you when I release this a little bit about you and they'll know that we're here to talk about Tai Chi and your journey of physical and mental transformation through the lens of Tai Chi. But now I want to dive into, you know, you and I had some personal discussions when we worked together, we got to know each other a little better. And I think, you know, you knew a little bit of my story. I knew a little bit of your story. And I know in the last few years, you were really thinking about what was next for you when you left Nanjing. And these life transitions can, can make or break us at times in terms of how settled we are with uncertainty. So as you were moving towards leaving Nanjing and really not knowing what you were going to do, can you just talk about what that was like for you and then how you were able to make that leap into Tai Chi and knowing that that was the right path for you? I I actually had a longer term planning for, for that. So I'd actually decided before the start of that school year, that that was going to be my last year. Mm-hmm. And I knew that I was going to go on to do some kind of martial art because I needed to take the time to discover again. I'd lost completely who I was. Like I, I'd forgotten who Jackie was. I was only Miss Weatherly. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I don't know who I am when I'm not Miss Weatherly anymore. Mm-hmm. So that's why I was like, this is going to be my last year. I didn't want to go into things completely unknown. You know, like I, you know me, I like to plan things down to the last detail. I don't like to go in with too many kind of unknown factors in there. Um, but what I did was the, the spring break, uh, I actually had booked a week at the Tai Chi school because I didn't want to go in cold. I wanted to find or, or at least see whether that, was going to be the environment that I wanted to be in. And I remember going to the Tai Chi school and within the second day, like the masters were so welcoming and it was almost like coming into a family. Like after the second day, one of the masters who was getting married invited me to his wedding. I was like, 
you've known me for two days and you're inviting me to your wedding. So it was actually a really lovely environment because I wanted to make sure because I knew I was, I was going for a year. That was the initial idea was just to take a year off to kind of rediscover who I was and basically recharge and rejuvenate myself and take that time I needed to kind of de-stress from everything. So before we, before we jump forward, I want you to set the context for where the school was, but also when you say that there was a disconnect between, you know, Miss W and then knowing that's how you were referred to as Miss W, right? So, and knowing, um, that you had lost part of yourself and who you were as a person, um, you know, and just to this, the extent to which you're comfortable, can you talk about some of those mental struggles that you were trying to deal with that ultimately led you to recognize, I need to take a year off. I need to do something to reground myself, recenter, recalibrate. So, so just talk about that a little bit, then let us know where the school is specifically, and then keep going on with the story of once you, once you went there. Okay. I, it was, it was a few years before I actually left that I realized I had to change something. So one year I'd actually booked in to go to a Shaolin Kung Fu school and I did not tell anyone that I was going. I told no, I didn't even tell my parents I was going. And then I basically didn't have any internet or contact for the whole five weeks that I was there because it's not that I didn't want people to not know that I was going there. I just, I wanted to go with having absolutely no input from everyone else. Like I didn't, like I I didn't even want to hear, oh, that sounds fantastic. I didn't even want that. I wanted absolutely just blinders on, no external information or confirmation or opinions or anything from anyone. So I actually started started doing that and I did that for the five weeks and then when I came back to school, I found a Kung Fu teacher in Nanjing who was absolutely pivotal in my my transition or the, it, it put me on the path that I was going. So yeah. that was what changed the direction but I found for me that just doing those classes and dedicating that time it wasn't enough and I found that towards the end I was kind of dropping off of that kung fu training and then still going back and just doing like all the work so that's when I decided that I needed a more extreme change so, so can I ask you something there? So I, I don't mean to interrupt. I just want to dig a little deeper into that because I remember that time and I remember your Kung Fu instructor. Did you, did he come to NIS to give you lessons? Uh, I went to him first. I yeah. was the one that kind of got him to come to NIS as well. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I remember that time. Yeah. But when you say like, what kind of, um, I don't want to go completely existential here, but what type of questions because when we're in the pursuit of something um especially when it comes to better learning about ourselves and better learning about what our next steps are we sometimes grapple with certain questions and using your own words you said that that wasn't enough 
you know, so what were you trying to figure out or what questions were you grappling with during that time that led you to understand that I need more here? This is something that is clicking. It's resonating with me. So what type of questions did you grapple with to um, continue to push you on the path that you were on? I think it mostly started because I needed to streamline my focus because I had so many things going on in my mind all at the same time that it was, it was just hard. It was just, it was like being in one of the train stations in China where there's just so much external noise in those train stations. And it was like that, but inside my head. Mm -hmm. So there was just so many things. I just needed it to be quiet I needed to be able to just block things out and do a streamlined focus on one thing because I thought that was what was going to help me in my teaching as well. If I could block all of the unnecessary stuff out awesome. and just focus. But then the because I had an injury in my elbow. I, I, I remember, don't know if you remember that. Yeah, that I remember that. lasted for ages. So because that lasted for ages, that kind of then – affected my mental state of being because it's like, oh, my gosh, this injury is lasting for ages. Am I ever going to be able to use this arm properly again? Am I going to be able to go back to Kung Fu? And so then all the noise started to come back in again. It's like I, I can't cope with this because then my temper was just like really short, like little things that shouldn't set me off were setting me off, and I actually did start to recognise that. And right. I was like, I don't know who this person is anymore because generally I was never really that snap temper, angry person, but that's what I had turned into because I was just trying to, I was just trying to give so, so much that I was just running on empty by the yeah. end. Yeah. And you know, what you're talking about is a signal to noise ratio and it's, it's an engineering term that has been taken on by a lot of different um, branches and families of psychology. And it's like this idea of what you're describing is that the noise was really, really loud in your head and the, the ability for you to understand that that's what you needed to work on and to have the willingness to, as you say, you don't like leaping into the unknown, but really what you were doing was leaping into the unknown. You can learn everything you, you can about Kung Fu, but it's very different to leap into the unknown and the uncertainty. And I think that there has to be a certain amount of courage uh, in order to take that leap. What do you think within yourself allowed you to do that? that was that a strength or was it was it a weakness that you were willing to jump into or was it a strength within you, an internal wisdom or an internal strength that allowed you to jump in with total self-awareness? I've always been a risk taker to a certain extent. Like I've always wanted to challenge myself, even from when I was a young kid. And I think that's because like dad was a PE teacher. He was doing outdoor ed. So I basically used to follow, I was very much my father's daughter. Um, so I used to follow him and like, if he went rock climbing, I went rock climbing. If he went caving, I went caving. So I was used to kind of putting myself in these situations to try. And I think because I had my dad there, 
I knew he wasn't ever going to let anything happen to me, so I always felt more confident. So at school when we did rock climbing, when Dad was there, I was quite happy to volunteer to be the first one to go down because it's my dad. My dad's not going to do anything to put me in harm's way. So I always had that kind of confidence for physical tasks. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I was always more confident with the with throwing myself into a physical task because it's just like, eh, bruises, bumps, they heal, no problem. Yeah, yeah. It was more kind of like if I put myself, I try not to put myself into kind of emotional kind of situations. But I've always tried to push myself in terms of fear. I don't, fear is necessary sometimes, but I like to not let it have too much power over me. If I don't want to, I don't want to let it have that much power over me that it stops me from doing things. Right. So I've never let it stop me. I've always challenged myself to kind of do whatever it is, if something makes me feel nervous or something makes me feel like I have fear for it, then usually I just go and do it. Yeah. Yeah. That's like great. I, had, I, I, I remember when I was living in America, I went and did, um, we did a whitewater rafting kind of activity and the rapids, it, they were barely rapids, but I remember I was so terrified I was almost paralyzed with fear so I basically booked myself a a whitewater rafting trip in southern Chile where they have some of the biggest rapids in the world and so I just went I'm going big or I'm not doing it at all so I just went it's like I'm gonna throw myself into this it scares the crap out of me but I'm gonna do it and once I did it it's just like I felt like okay that no longer has power over me because I took it on head on and I just did it. Yeah. And that's that. So as you say, the willingness to jump into the physical challenges, but it's more the mental emotional work that can be different for a lot of people. Um, it's, I'm not saying it's easy for you. You still had to jump into the physical challenges and have the courage to do so. But now let's fast forward. So where was the, the school in China and you were talking about that uh, one week where you went there just to kind of test it out um, before taking the leap. So tell us where uh, the school was in China. Uh, so the school was in Guangxi province in Yangshou, which is about an hour out of Guilin. Uh, it's in the most beautiful setting. Uh, it's a very big rock climbing area because of the casts that they have there, but and they've got Yulong River as well, the Li River. It's just a really beautiful place. It's You're basically just plonking yourself in this little tiny village in the middle of nowhere to just clear everything out. Mm-hmm. So it was it was really nice to, to just get away there and to test it to see whether yes, this, is this a place that I can live for a year of my life? Right. And, and so obviously that's what you decided to do then. So obviously it had enough of an impact on you. Now take us into that first year because you, you said clearly it was just going to be a year that you would need a year to find yourself and to 
kind of recalibrate, but it has turned into much more than that. So, so summarize that first year and then going back to big questions that you were still grappling with after that first year that, um, ultimately led you to on the path, um, to continue your studies with Tai Chi. Well, Tai Chi actually wasn't my first choice. I actually really wanted to go down the Kung Fu route, but my body had kind of other ideas. So Tai Chi, the the style of Tai Chi that I chose, which is the Chen style, is a little bit more of a compromise because it does have that martial aspect to it. Mm -hmm. Um, It has the hard and the soft elements and the fast and the slow elements. So it was a nice compromise. It wasn't Kung Fu but it wasn't kind of like the the when people when you say tai chi to people they think oh old people in the park so i wasn't there and i wasn't at the hard kung fu chen chen style tai chi is kind of a like a nice compromise in the middle that takes elements from both um there's weapons as well right weapons as well yeah yeah so when i went to the it was it's funny like when i went there to the school, I'd only learned one Chen form with my, uh, Mr. Tiger in Nanjing. So I went there thinking, I know Chen style Tai Chi. This is this isn't going to be this is going to be fine, no problems. But the, the longer I was there, the more I realised I knew absolutely nothing, yeah. and I kind of liked that I had that feeling of wow, I know absolutely nothing here. And I had to basically put, it, it's like you have that ego where you where you think that you're good at something, but then the more you delve into it and the deeper you go, you go, you actually realise, yeah, I really didn't know anything about that. I only, I thought I knew, but I didn't. Mm-hmm. So it was nice to delve in and, and, uh, go a little bit deeper into the practice to make me realize uh, and to be a little bit more like just to, just to put the ego aside a little bit. Mm-hmm. When did it start becoming very uh, a mental journey for you? I'm probably from the start, but again, it's easy for you to jump into those physical tasks. So talk about when light bulbs started to come on that, you were really starting to realize things within yourself mentally and emotionally to be alleviated of some of the earlier mental and emotional stress that you placed on yourself. Yeah, I was probably around about three months in. Three months in, I I started, everything kind of started to fall into place. Um which was which was really good for me. I, I still meditation was was like so difficult. It was like almost impossible for me to 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 do the meditation because again, my brain was still it was still clogged up with like all of the irrelevant stuff in there. Yeah. And when you say that, Jackie, I did, sorry again. Do you think your brain being clogged up with stuff was anxiety? Yes. Okay. So let's just. I'd, I'd, like, I'd I think- actually had that from. I think I start my first lot of anxiety that I really started to get was uh, my last year of high school. Mm-hmm. 
but anxiety really wasn't that prominent at that particular time. So I pretty much had every test that you could possibly think of and the doctors just put it down as a mystery illness because they couldn't actually find anything wrong with me. Right. But I was just having these what now we understand as panic attacks. Yeah. So so that's that's it and that's that's important for people to understand because you hit the nail on the head with anxiety disorders and I I read something um yesterday um that in particular, highly intellectual people, there's a there's a two times uh, greater chance that they suffer from undiagnosed anxiety. You know, because they're always in their heads and they're always thinking and they're always, you know, they've got to get this done and they have to get that done to continue on the path that they are on. But I just wanted to pause there to to um, not label it as being anxiety, but just to frame it up that it was something mentally that that you had struggled with. And three months in, you said you were able to start to better sit with it. So keep on with the meditation. So I assume that it was single point meditation. So you were focused on your breath or was it contemplative meditation, just letting thoughts come and go? Uh, it was uh, breath, concentrating on the breath. But even then, like I had to employ strategies for myself to to singularly focus. And even now... I still, I count my breaths and that helps me to focus and try to block everything else out. Um, But in the beginning, it was so difficult, so difficult. Like I just, I just couldn't stand still and do nothing. I was better when I was doing one of the forms or if it had some kind of physical movement in it, it was better because then I'd focus on the movement. But just standing there, it just made my brain wander off and think about so many different things. But now, especially especially in the last the last eighteen months, I've really made a practice of at least five times a week. I do my standing meditation, and it's it's between. 25 and 40 minutes. Oh, wow. So take us through that, Jackie, and, and your advice to people, because I, I've, I've dabbled with meditation over the years. I've done it quite consistently. Uh, I recognize within myself when my mind is, is uh, too chatty, my mind is racing, and I give myself permission to slip from or to move from it being uh, breath focus, singular point focus, to just recognizing today I'm going to struggle too much with this. So let's just let the thoughts like I'm sitting on the side of the road and the, the passing cars are passing thoughts. And my challenge becomes just try to develop the ability to see, see it and then let it, let it pass, you know, instead of holding on to it. So, and I'm not saying that's the right way, but that's how I've learned to develop different approaches to meditation talk about the standing meditation and your advice for people listening who say to themselves exactly what you just said is I I can't do it. I can't sit still. The thoughts are too prevalent. Like what is some advice you have for people listening to this um, that they might employ to begin a meditation practice? Uh, Start off with a small increment of time. 
like allocate, like don't even allocate a, a specific time, but only short bursts in the beginning, like just to sh- choose, start at one minute, start at two minutes, start at five if you feel like it. But for me, it was that counting of the breaths and also visualising where my breath was going. Sometimes I will also identify, like I do a sweep from head to toe of my body for the points which were holding the tension. Mm -hmm. And if there were points holding the tension, then I I made myself aware of it and then I just relaxed that particular part or let go of the tension that so was like in that. So like progressive part. relaxation. Yes, because basically that's that's what the meditation and the Tai Chi is, is for. It's teaching your body how to relax, for lack of a better word, basically mm-hmm. to let go of that tension that you hold in there. Mm-hmm. And it's also really good for improving posture. My posture has improved amazingly and I know there's been studies done that just by having that correct posture and that correct alignment um, or recorrecting it, it does stop the blockages from happening. If you have a really bad posture, it can cause those blockages which can manifest as physical symptoms of something. Same with emotional blockages. They can actually manifest as something physical as well. Awesome. Awesome. And is that when you say standing now, is that like Tadasana, the the standing mountain pose yoga? Uh, Take us through what would you say to somebody if you were teaching them uh, the right posture for a standing meditation? What cues would you give them? This one is called Jan Zhuang, uh, which is basically like standing post or standing tree meditation. So basically you don't want to have a very, like your stance only needs to be maybe shoulder width apart. There's a slight bend in the knees. The pelvis is slightly tucked forward so that it may, so that your lower spine becomes straight okay. because if you have that archway in it um, where the top of the pelvis is rotated forward so the coccyx is facing back, mm-hmm. then you actually block the energy going through. Okay. Uh, and that's, that tends to be a common thing with people. You end up having that uh, the lumbar spine ends up having right. that concave curve in it. Yeah. Um, and what we do is we try to actually straighten that lower part so it allows the energy to go down so that you can sink and ground yourself through the feet, uh, down to the feet. Uh, the, the top of the head, the crown, is always leading upwards. As soon as you let that part go, then yeah. the neck goes, all the pressure tends to, like, squish down onto you. Um, so you're always leading upwards. It doesn't matter if you're standing still, if you're walking around, if you always try to lead up with the crown of your head, pulling up lightly, it takes the pressure off the rest of your body. Yeah. It's like if you have clothes on a coat hanger. As soon as you, as soon as the, the clothes hang so nicely and relaxed off of the coat hanger, but as soon as you let the coat hanger go, 
the integrity is lost and right. the clothes end up in a crumpled heap on the ground, yeah. which is basically what your body is doing. Uh, then with the arms, the arms are almost like embracing a tree. So your fingertips are pointing towards each other. You're making a circle at the front. So it's almost like you're going to hug a tree. Oh, so your arms, your arms are not hanging down at your side. No, the arms are circular around oh. in front. And that's actually a tough position to hold in the, in, in the beginning because you do end up, when you're holding that position, you find where you're really starting to hold the tension. So if your shoulders are getting sore or if your arms are getting sore or your back might be getting sore, it's because that's where you're holding a lot of tension. So when you're doing the standing meditation, you are basically going through your body almost like a, a scan or an x-ray to find out where you are holding the tension. So often in the beginning, you won't be able to hold your arms in that position for a long time. So then you just put them down. So when you're holding your arms out as if you're hugging a tree and you get tired and fatigued, you're allowed to just drop them by your side and continue the meditation? They don't go to your side. They actually go down to your dantian which is basically where, where the energy or the chi is stored, which is about if you do three fingers below your belly button, mm -hmm. that's where the dantian is. So women put right hand first, then the left hand on the top, and men do right hand first, uh, sorry, left hand first and right hand on the top. So that's the whole Chinese medicine thing where the body is divided into two separate halves and there's like the female or the feminine side and the masculine side. So it's just a different, different hand. Uh, okay. So going back to the meditation piece, I'm, I want to read you a, a quote here. Okay. I was thinking about you when I knew that we were going to record, which by the way, we just decided this morning, we started this back and forth um, on Instagram. And then that led to like, we've been saying we're going to do it. So let's do it today. Um, you talked about, um, and then I want to continue on with Tai Chi, but you uh, shared the book, Emotional Agility with me by author Susan David and that you've really got yourself stuck into this book and you're really learning a lot from it. And I found a quote here from Susan that I want to read to you and ask you what resonates with you in regards to your Tai Chi journey, but in particular, going from that one year of Tai Chi to saying, hey, I'm going to keep doing this and I'm going to keep doing it because really it's turned into now a five-year journey for you, right? So yeah. here, here's the quote. Our contract with life is a contract that is brokered with fragility and with sadness and with anxiety. And if we're going to authentically and meaningful, meaningfully be in this world, we cannot focus on one dimension of life and expect that focusing on that dimension is going to then give us a well-rounded life. So what resonates with you in regards to that quote and your continued journey with Tai Chi? The part that really resonates with me the most there is that not focusing on one dimension of life and expecting that to be, give us the, the, the holistic kind of well-rounded life that we're looking for. Uh, for, for me, 
I generally did just focus on the physical stuff. So I think when I first started the Tai Chi, it was, it, I did go in to try and, um, refocus my mind as well. But in the beginning, it was more about the physical stuff. Once I started developing that physical stuff and getting into the movements and the basics and the forms and the meditation, then it started to become more about my mind and basically unraveling stuff that's in there. Um, I'm still a work in progress. I think I will always be a work in progress and I don't ever want to stop learning. I don't think we ever stop learning. So for me now, I've because I've really made a habit of focusing on the basics and the foundational aspects of Tai Chi, I've really put a lot of time into those specifics of like in Chen style we have this silk reeling practice and, and then we've got meditation and posture training. So I've been doing focusing more on those basic foundational movements and the more I get into them, the deeper I get into the practice and the more I realise there are other aspects of myself that I need to kind of delve into and that I maybe have shoved aside and chose not to deal with. Mm. It's like, you know, you always get the thing, oh, that's too hard. I'm going to put that in that basket. Oh, that's too hard. I don't want to deal with that now. But I think in order for me to, to really delve even further into my Tai Chi practice and and go to a new level and and peel back even more layers, then I've realized that there are just other things that that I need to be dealing with and and processing a little bit better, well, a lot better than what I'm actually currently doing. Yeah. What evidence do you have in your own life that definitely indicates that you are on a healing journey? You have evidence of healing. I'm, I'm not as reactive as what I was like now, if something happens, I actually, I pause and I wait and then I respond rather than I'll give you an example. Sure. When I first moved into my house, uh, I was taking the bins out and I took the bins down to the road and I just put the bin out in front of where our letterboxes are and I heard this like really aggressive shouting at me and I was like what's going on and it was a guy that is in the house at, on the by the road and he didn't want our bins to be put in front of his house and well, I didn't know I'd just moved in so I just put them there and he was like angry he's like you can't put your bins there he was really really aggressive and so I just waited and then when he'd finished I just looked at him calmly and I said I'm sorry I've only just moved in here I quite happy to move them to a different spot and the whole tone of that conversation changed because of how I had actually responded Right. to that aggression, he'd come in really aggressive. I'd just come in to kind of like 
has a softness to allow that to kind of absorb his aggressiveness and just like and redirect it, which is a very much a Tai Chi kind of principle with that whole yield and deflect. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's what showed me because previously if someone comes at me and is quite aggressive, then your normal instinct is to be aggressive back. Yeah. I don't know. You've probably seen me do that on a number of occasions <laughs> when we were in Nanjing. Someone many came years over ago. <laughs> oh, many, many years ago. Um, but, yeah, like that used to be if someone came at you, at, at me quite aggressively, I would meet that force with force. But then that never works. It just escalates. So I've really noticed now that even when I'm having difficult conversations with people, I'm a lot more pausing and reflecting and really kind of processing what I want to say first before I actually react to it. That's so awesome. it's, it's just That's been awesome. a, it's it's been a really interesting process, and when you actually start noticing yourself kind of doing these different things and reacting in a different way, or your perspective has changed on how you look at specific things, it's it's just a really kind of it blows your mind because mm-hmm. you're like, whoa, where did this person come from? A slow evolution, a slow evolution of of, um, growth and development. And, you know, when you were talking about uh, being uh, less reactive, uh, I've taken a dive into uh, nonviolent communication by Marshall Rosenberg, which is exactly what you're saying. And I'm not even close to being an expert in it or applying it, but it is approaching difficult conversations in a different way that acknowledges the other perspective and that acknowledges the needs of the other person, which is what you did. You recognized in your neighbor um, in this moment, they obviously need me to put my bins in a different place. So something's going on within them. So rather than reacting, you recognize that and um, you did it in a nonviolent way. And that can have an immediate impact on the other party when you recognize um, at least their perspective and where, where, um, they are coming from. So it sounds like there's, there's elements of, of that happening in the way that you're learning to better deal with moments of conflict or, or difficult uh, times. Yeah. He was so apologetic. Like he felt so bad that he'd reacted and come at me that way. And I'd reacted the way I did that he actually helped me move the bins into the spot where he wanted them to be. I was like, okay, you can help. No problem. Um, and we've had, uh, like I've had no issues with him ever since. Cause when, when we first met and that was the kind of tone that I had established for that. Yeah. So I think it all it all depends how you interact with people and my interactions with people. That's one thing that I've really kind of been working on because I know that it wasn't my strength. Mm. Um, I can, but I like I can do it. 
But as I said before, some of my interactions were like I just didn't think sometimes. Right. Like we would get there. It's just like something happens and you just react straight away and you don't necessarily think about the consequences. Whereas now I'm more reflective on wait first so that I can actually not have a negative consequence right. from it just because I'm more aware of it now yeah. than what I used to be. Yeah, that makes total sense. And in shifting towards the end of the conversation, so there'll be a lot of physical education teachers listening to this and classroom teachers and principals. And when you think of Tai Chi, what is it that you want them to know about and how they might begin to think about the first steps to applying it at a very basic level, either in the classroom or in the PE space? I really like... I. I really would like to share like what I've learned in terms of the transformation and what it's actually done for me. Here I was, I thought I was just going to go and do it for a bit and then go back. But it's one of those things that it just takes over your life and becomes, it becomes your life. It's more of a lifestyle and the way you lead it and it becomes part of you. And it just, it allows you to have those moments where it takes away that ego, it takes away that real aggression and it's, well, it's more controlled now. Mm -hmm. I still get angry at things but it's, it's still how I've chosen, how I, I still take that time to choose how I'm going to react to situations. Mm-hmm. So I think in terms of with students, I think teaching students to, to be able to calm their mind, relax their body, and have those tools and those strategies at their disposal to be able to become more well-rounded in not just physical but in mind and body and in soul as well. Yeah. Sometimes I I think of the social-emotional learning piece. Um, And, for example, if we're talking specific PE, I think of Adventure Challenge. And my thinking has changed changed a bit about that because I, I used to love teaching Adventure Challenge as well, getting kids to working, you know, working together to accomplish a common goal. And now I think that it, it needs to be year long. It needs to be built into team games and individual pursuits and movement composition. So we've actually taken it out of the program and we take the, the outcomes from adventure challenge working together because it's a life skill to work together, to face conflict, as you say, to, to respond positively, to listen uh, empathically to people. Um, So I'm kind of of this thinking now that we can embed these outcomes from an adventure challenge. The whole year is about working together rather than a one-off six week unit, you know, dust off your hands. That's it. When I think of uh, Tai Chi rather than it just falling into part of a movement composition unit that the kids might only get four weeks of practice with an exploration. How could elements of Tai Chi be embedded throughout a year long PE curriculum? It could even be as 
part of the warm-up or it could be at the end of the class or it could be both because there are small things that you can do that you could do five minutes at the beginning of the class or five minutes at the end of the class just to kind of bring things back together and refocus um, just reinforcing these kind of skills these little kind of breathing activities or little breathing connecting breathing and movement together and that actually does help with other sports and other activities that you do in PE as soon as you start connecting the internal with the external and they're actually moving in harmony mm-hmm. you get that real yin yang whereas a lot of the times we're just focused on the external but if we can focus on the internal to connect with the external then it helps so i would just say uh find little five minute routines that you can do either at the beginning or the end of the class um just to make it like habitual and part of the the natural thing so it becomes like brushing your teeth every day right it just becomes something that you do yeah every and, day and do you, do you have any off the top of your head can you recommend any resources uh, resources books or uh, videos just anything that a classroom teacher or PE teacher might um, look up just to find more information if they're curious oh there's lots of stuff out there um my uh one of my masters puts a lot of stuff up on uh, on YouTube. So anything on YouTube, he's uh, I think he's Tai Chi in China. Okay. Uh, and he does a lot of stuff, which is simple breaking down things like that uh, in terms of movements and stuff. But there is a lot of resources out there. Simple qigong sets. Um, How do you spell very that? Quickly, Qigong, yeah. Q-I-G-O-N-G. Q-I-G-O-N-G. G-O-N-G. Okay, that's good. I'll put that in the show yeah. notes. Qi, qi, is the, qi is the energy Okay. that, that uh, is in the body. Okay. But, Great. yeah, I mean, there are lots of resources out there and lots of different people doing different stuff, and it's just a matter of some of some of the resources are better than others, but that's the same with any anything that you're looking up, any research you're looking up. You're going to have good examples and not so good examples. But I can send you through some of some of the links. Yeah, that, that would be great. And for anybody... For, for, people that, for people that I know that are very good at what they do. Yeah, great. Um, and where can people find you? So I know you're you're pretty active on Instagram. So tell people where they can find you, and if they want to reach out to you, if they have questions, um, where can they get in touch with you? They can find me at Tai Chi Lady with underscore between the the words. Okay. So at Tai Chi Lady on Instagram, or they can find me on Facebook. If they do a search for Tai Chi Lady, they will find me there too. Or they can search for Chi, myself and I, Tai Chi. Okay, awesome. Um, any last words of wisdom for us, Jackie, before we close off? Uh, no, I just really appreciate you having me here and having a chat, Andy. Um, 
it's been really nice to to reconnect and and to tell you what I've been up to and yeah I just I'm really humbled that you actually invited me to be on the show because yeah I I still feel like I'm nobody (laughs) (laughs) and we 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 talked about that and and again like all the stuff I've seen and in particular, like when I, when I watch your Instagram videos uh, and people, you have to check her out with the sword and the, what do you call the, the long stick and you do all these little moves and uh, you, yes. you can kill me in a second. Yeah. The Guandao. Okay. None of my weapons are sharp. Just so you know, yeah, but if they were, I probably would have Van Gogh'd my ear by now. Yeah. But uh, no, it's amazing to see. And, and I really hope people listening to this will, um, will check out your work. And uh, again, it's because this is the first time that we've, we've met face to face in seven years, I think, or six years since um, we parted ways at Nanjing. So it's great to see you again. And you look the same, you look healthy, you look vibrant. And it's been wonderful speaking to you, Jackie. Nice to speak to you too. Thanks, Andy. Okay, I'm going to close out the show, then just stay on the line. Uh, Everybody, thank you uh, for listening to this episode with the Tai Chi lady, Jackie Weatherly, and I hope you come back to listen to future episodes. Andy Vasily.